We wanted to let you know at the outset, today's program is a rebroadcast of one of our best episodes. Whether you're hearing today's program for the first time or you're a faithful listener, we're sure you'll enjoy hearing the great truths in this episode once more. Today, Lamenting Leads to Light. This is the Friends of Israel Today, where we teach biblical truth for changing times. I'm Steve Conover. Today in our Ask FOI segment, we'll answer the question, does God hold a distinction between Jews and Gentiles? We'll also hear a dramatic reading from the life of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. That's later, but now we join our host and teacher, Chris Katulka. Chris begins a new series from the Book of Lamentations today. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm your host, Chris Katolka. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm going to begin a series on the Book of Lamentations. And I know what you're thinking when I say that. You're, you're saying, well, that sounds kind of depressing. You know, who, who likes to lament? Why, why, do I want to, why would I want to talk about this? Uh, you know, I, I know I don't like to lament. Um, I, I'm a pretty optimistic person. You can ask my wife. Sometimes I'm actually probably a little too optimistic at times. So when it comes to talking about lamenting, uh, really, it, it, it doesn't sound like fun. But as I've been going through the Book of Lamentations, it's a short book, five chapters, I've, I've started to realize, you know, lamenting really is a necessary part of the Christian life. No one likes to mourn. No one likes to grieve uh, because really at its root, it's sadness because it usually means we've lost something or someone important. Uh, lamenting is really, if you think about it, when you, when you boil it down, lamenting is an inevitable part of one's life. I'm reminded of what Chuck Swindoll said in his book, Starting Over. The hardest thing about life is that it's so daily. And the thing that's so true about that statement is that within someone's daily life, there are bound to be moments of joy There are bound to be moments of happiness, but there are also bound to be moments of sadness and and mourning and lamenting. Lamenting is, in fact, such a uh, crucial part of life that the scriptures have an entire book that's dedicated to it called Lamentations, where the prophet Jeremiah is mourning over the loss of something near and dear to his heart, the city of Jerusalem. There's a beautiful painting that's actually hanging in our associate producer's office uh, by Rembrandt called Jeremiah Lamenting the Destruction of Jerusalem. Rembrandt painted this in 1630, and, and in his painting, Rembrandt paints Jerusalem. Imagine this, off to the side, and it's, it's burning um, and it's burning very brightly. And, and Rembrandt takes the burning Jerusalem, the light of this burning city, and casts it onto this hunched-over prophet, Jeremiah, whose elbow is resting on the Bible, and his countenance is numb and empty. He's just staring off into space. And here Rembrandt really captures the Book of Lamentations in one glance. Jeremiah is the author of the book of Lamentations, and he begins his book with a word, a word that gives shape 
to the theme of lamenting. And the word is this, how. The Hebrew word Jeremiah used to lead his lament was typically used during Israelite funerals, lamenting over the death of a person. Poetically, though, Jeremiah connects this word often used during funerals to the death of Jerusalem. How? How could it be that the capital of Israel and Judah, the place of the kings of Israel, have been reduced to rubble? How? Imagine Jeremiah sitting on a mountain looking out over the sacred city of Jerusalem, wondering, how could it be? This thought probably flooded his mind. Now, now here's what I find that's interesting. In antiquity, if a people group lost a battle, just like Judah did, what was often put on the chopping block was the reputation of whosoever God lost the war. So Israel's God in the minds of the Babylonians were not, wasn't a strong God. He lost. If Israel's God wasn't strong enough to defeat the Babylonian gods, then clearly Israel's God is small and insignificant or maybe even non-existent. But countercultural to the religious practices of Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah answers the question of how. How could it be that God failed? He didn't fail. It wasn't God that failed. It was us that failed. Instead of believing God died when Jerusalem fell, Jeremiah places the blame solely on the sin of Israel, upholding the holy reputation of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen to what Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 1.18. He says this, The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandments. Jeremiah is saying, The Lord is in the right to judge us, because we rebelled against him and his word. We sinned. Jerusalem fell because of Judah's sin against God. And I have to tell you, Jerusalem's fall wasn't something that completely should have shocked the Israelites. Jerusalem's fall uh, and the banished Jewish people was prophesied, actually, 900 years prior to the event. How How was it prophesied? Just go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. God said to Moses that he would uh, bring a foreign nation in to judge the Israelites if they didn't follow him. And so you see God's word being fulfilled. It's the reason why, as Jeremiah in Rembrandt's painting is staring off into space, and what's his elbow resting on? It's resting on the Bible because God's word remains true. And after sending warnings and messengers and prophets, God finally used a distant nation to judge his people for their sin, giving them this great sense of lament. Sin has an incredible power to remove us from the joy that can only come from the author of joy, the Lord himself. And in the same way that Rembrandt painted Jeremiah in a hunched-over state, Sin forces us into a hunched-over state. Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 5.15, The joy of our heart has ceased, and our dance has turned into mourning. Lamenting over our sin, folks, is not a worthless act at all. It actually has a lot of spiritual value. Lamenting becomes that bridge that leads us to the light of God's truth. Grieving over our wrongdoing 
puts us into a perspective that we not only hurt ourselves or someone around us, but that even more importantly, we have sinned against God. And when we lament, we are stepping out in faith to ask God to act, to forgive our wrongdoings and to give us the grace to move forward, to remove that dead sin within us and to give us the grace to live in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lamenting is the beginning of that act. I want to end each message focusing on the central passage of Lamentations. Lamentations is a poem and it has poetic structure. The way that the poem is laid out draws the reader right to the center of the poem. And this is the center of the poem. Listen, you actually might have heard this before. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Think about the significance of this verse. The people of Jerusalem and Judah were robbed of everything they knew. Their homes were destroyed, family and friends murdered, and the remaining were carried off to a country they didn't know in judgment. And yet Jeremiah is sitting there watching his city burn, but he knows the character of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and cries out in the midst of the rubble and the ruin, great is your faithfulness. I think it's important for us to focus on this one thing. Lamenting begins with knowing that the Lord is in the right. Lamenting begins with us recognizing something valuable about God. And that's that even though we enjoy feeling as though we are in the right, it's God who's in the right. He's the righteous one, and he has every right to judge us. He has every right to orchestrate things according to his plan. God is in the right. And when we recognize that God is in the right, according to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 18, it forces us into a state of dependence, a state of lamenting. And folks, lamenting is a very powerful emotion given by God in one's spiritual life because lamenting leads to light. Lamenting leads to the light of God's truth for our life today. Thanks, Chris. What about times in my life where I'm lamenting and it's not connected to sin. For instance, like Job, when he did nothing wrong, he lamented. Does the concept of the Lord is in the right, does that apply to those who lament without sin? Yeah, the book of Lamentations primarily focuses on the idea of of lamenting connected to sin, but yet there are also passages in the Old Testament and New Testament that are connected to lamenting apart from sin. And like you said, in connection with Job, You know, Job did absolutely nothing wrong, and yet he laments uh, the suffering that he's going through, and it's a a lamenting that is much needed. But at the end of the book of Job, Job almost wants to take the Lord to court 
to say, why did, why did you do this to me? I did nothing wrong. And once again, God shows at the end of the book of Job, the Lord is righteous. I am the creator of all things. I am in the right. And I do these things for a reason. And sometimes you might not know that reason, but it's for a good reason. So yes, I do think it applies. Lamenting, this concept of lamenting even applies to those without sin. Thanks, Chris. We'll hear the next installment of Lamenting Leads to Light next week. Here at the Friends of Israel, we get questions all the time from our listeners. So today I'm going to dig into the Ask FOI inbox where I'll answer some of the questions that have come in about the Bible, Israel, and the future. Uh, Larry, listening on KQCV 95.1 from Oklahoma City, asks this question. What do you believe concerning whether our God sees all people the same today rather than him, God, giving any higher position to the Jewish people in his everlasting kingdom? The New Testament teaches us there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So really, um, Larry's question can be boiled down to this. Does God still show distinction between the Jewish people and non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, uh, and is one better than the other, essentially, is the question that he's asking. Let me say this. The passage that Larry uses comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. And it's an amazing passage. Imagine in, in the world of the Old Testament, there was a distinction. There was the Jewish person, the, the Israelite, and then the rest of the world, the aliens of the world, the strangers. But through the blood of Christ— All have been made citizens of the kingdom of God. All have been made one in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is is a beautiful passage. But at the same time, when you dig deeper into the passage, Some of the terminology that Paul uses is fascinating, that there is neither male nor female. Well, you know, in the world that we're living in today, I still see a distinction between myself and my wife. I I am a husband, and she is a wife. I'm a man, and she's a woman. And even though we are seen as equal in the eyes of God— We are also different. We have different tasks, different things that we've been uh, ordained by God to do. Even though in God's eyes, through Christ Jesus, we are one. So there is neither Jew nor Greek. All have the same value in God's eyes. And yet at the exact same time, there is still distinction between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And that can be seen in Paul's a letter to the Romans in Romans chapter one. He he says this about the gospel. That really the theme of the book of Romans. He says this: For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. 
for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The idea that everybody is seen the same in God's eyes. Everybody. But there is still value to the fact that the gospel must go to the Jewish person first, or the Jewish person especially, because it is their message. They were the, 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 the ones to carry the message of the gospel, and through the Jewish people came the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And so the idea that these are the ones, there is still, in essence, a distinction uh, that can be seen. And, and I also believe that comes across in the ultimate plan of God's redemption. You have to go way, way back in Genesis chapter 12. God told Abraham that through him, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. So there's that beginning. But when Moses comes down uh, after receiving the law and he comes to the Jewish people, he says to these people, he says, you have to understand your, your place in God's plan. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God was calling the Jewish people to be a kingdom of priests. That was their task, that through Israel, through the Jewish people, they would connect the world with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that does not mean that the non-Jewish people have no significance at all, but in God's prophetic plan. I believe that he wants to fulfill that task. It's the reason Jewish people, we believe, are going back to the land to fulfill their duty that God has given to them to be the ones who would be the priests of the kingdom of priests in the world, that through them, God would continue to work. It's all a part of his redemptive plan. So are we one in Christ? Oh, yes. When God looks at us, we are one. But at the same time, we've been tasked with different duties to accomplish for his purposes. If you follow the news, you've probably noticed that the world seems to make a little less sense every day. Uncertain times can cause people to ask, what's life all about? Where have I come from? Why am I here, and where am I going? You may even ask, what on earth is God doing? Fortunately, the Bible has answers to all of these questions, and in Dr. Reynolds Schauer's book, What on Earth is God Doing?, you can walk from creation to eternity in a compact, exciting, and easy-to-read format. It's guaranteed to change the way you look at the world. You'll understand the war Satan is waging against God, and how that conflict affects history and the direction the world is heading. If you're looking for answers and want to understand God's plan for it all, pick up a copy of What on Earth is God Doing? at foiradio.org. Do it today. Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Sfi is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Sfi. A few days ago, I went to Bethlehem to visit an injured Arab friend. 
All of his family and friends were there. At first, the conversation was about general matters, but then someone remarked, When God created Eve, he deceived and desecrated Adam by putting him to sleep and robbing him of his rib to make a woman. Apparently, already back then, God was on the side of the Jews. I did not understand the logic of this statement. Soon the people became more excited, and I could not get in a word. Sensing the fanaticism and bitterness, I decided to leave. But the head of the house became hostile and prevented me from going. I said, I came here to visit a fellow worker who was injured, and you treat me like this. Shame on you. This is not at all in the Arab tradition of hospitality to a guest. My words apparently had a sobering effect on them, especially when I said in Arabic, God is one, and he is for all people without exception. When God created mankind, there were no Jews, no Arabs, no other nationalities. But when man sinned, he soon learned to hate others and to kill People began to spread lies about each other and despise each other. For instance, you have been told that Jewish people have horns and tails. But you live among us, and you can see that we are the same kind of people as you are. In fact, we are your relatives through Abraham. Over time, the children of Abraham began to hate and persecute one another. They lacked mercy and compassion until the time came when the Father in heaven sent his salvation into the world. And where did that happen? Right here in this little town of Bethlehem. Here was born the one whom you call Isa, and the Jews call Yeshua. And all the world knows of Jesus. This Jesus brought to all people forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation, and he taught us to love one another. The eldest man present remarked, How amazing! I thought the Jews hated Jesus, you defend him. Are you really a Jew? I replied, yes. We who believe in Jesus are completed Jews. I came to see you because Jesus put love into my heart and told me to come see you. Jesus told us how to love our enemies. One of the men said, we all respect you for what you believe. But we cannot agree with one thing. This Isa was a prophet, but Muhammad was the greatest of all prophets. I showed them from the scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ was the one promised in the Old Testament. I explained that the New Testament tells us how he brought love into the world in contrast with the Quran, which says in Surah 190, Hate your enemy, kill him wherever you find him. They looked at each other perplexed and could not answer me. I then read John 3.16, For God so loved the world but he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The eldest man began to cry. He walked over to me, embraced me, kissed me, and said, Thank you very much. You taught us a great lesson today. We have so much to learn, especially about love. This is so strange to us. If you enjoy these dramatic readings from the life of Sfi, Apples of Gold, be sure to sign up for a free trial subscription to our magazine, Israel My Glory. You can visit us at foiradio.org to learn more. 
You'll get a full year, that's six issues of our magazine, and in it you'll read Svi's column, Apples of Gold, in every issue. Again, that's foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Gatulka. Our associate producer and engineer is Tom Gallion. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. Join us next week for part two in our series on Lamentations. You can write to us at FOI Radio P.O. Box 914, Belmar, and Belmar spelled B-E-L-L-M-A-W-R, New Jersey, 08099. Of course, you can contact us through foiradio.org. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.